0: Welcome to the Scottish Chronicast, the podcast which discusses all things relating to medieval Scotland. I'm your host, Dr. Kate Buchanan. Welcome to the Scotta Chronicast. Um, in this episode, um, it is somewhat of a heavy heart that I will let you know that um, this will be the final episode of the Scotta Chronicast. Um, I have decided to retire the podcast um, at this point because it has no longer become feasible um, for me to carry on as I have. Um, but I uh, really have enjoyed the podcast and I wanted to thank um, all of the listeners and all of the participants who have um, been interviewed on the podcast for making this such a a wonderful experience. And in this final episode, this finale, um, I have invited back Lucy Dean, who was our very first uh, guest on the podcast to talk a little bit about um, things that we have enjoyed most about the podcast and what we see as the future um, of Scottish history moving forward. Um, So Lucy, would you mind introducing yourself to the audience?
1: Yeah, of course. Thank you very much for inviting me, Kate. Um, I'm Lucy Dean. I am a lecturer at the Centre for History uh, at, the U- at the University of the Highlands and Islands, also known as UHI. And I am a medieval and early modern specialist looking at all sorts of things, but particularly interested in ritual and ceremony and um, youth in the life cycle and masculinity and gender studies and material culture and public history.
0: Yes, Lucy's research is very exciting and interesting, and she has a couple of episodes um, already on the Scottish Chronicast. So if you want to learn more, you can check those out. Um,
1: I just wanted to ask you, Kate, what inspired you to start the Scottish Chronicast?
0: Well... Um, there were a mix of things, um, that inspired me. Part of it, um, was that I missed talking about Scottish history. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, and I, um, yeah, just really wanted to get back into talking about, uh, what was going on with, uh, research and I had, Mm -hmm. uh, had to take a step away from academia for a while and had missed going to conferences and stuff. Um, And I had sort of looked into podcasts to just sort of see if I could listen to some podcasts focusing on Scottish history. And I I noticed that there was a sort of a lack of uh, a platform for, uh scholars particularly early career scholars to just talk about their research mm-hmm. um in in podcast form um so I sort of was like why not let's do this
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> and then the Scottish Chronicast was born
1: I think the name is fantastic I, I'm sure you've talked to the, to talk to your listeners about this before but I wondered if you could share a little bit more about why you decided on the title
0: uh yes. So um uh anybody who knows me personally will know that I am a great fan of puns um <laughs> and uh portmanteaus and things. Uh so I um took a long time to figure out what I was going to name the podcast and I wanted it to be something um that was kind of amusing. Um <laughs> <laughs> and i know that it's it's only really amusing to like a handful of people
1: <laughs> in joke
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, but i yeah i remember i was ha- i was on a walk i think uh, i was on a family walk when i it suddenly was sprung into to my mind that i was like <gasps> i know what the podcast is going to be called um <laughs> and there is a um, a source that is hard for me to actually say now because I'm so used to saying Scottish Chronic Cast. Uh-huh. It is hard for me to remember to say the Scottish Chronic Con, uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> um, and um, because it's it's such a, a cool name to begin with because it's kind of this this Scottish chronicles all like mixed into a word. Um, which is Scottish history and I was like oh you could just change the con into cast and you have the Scottish Chronicast and it's perfect name for a podcast (laughs) um that sort of evokes Scottish history without saying Scottish history yeah um and yes, and then it would be funny for like five people. Um. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think it's funny for more than five people. But no more it's like than a really five. Good yet. job of, um, of um, making sure that the Scotty Chronic itself featured quite regularly yes. in in the podcast. <laughs> yes, <laughs> which helps. <because laughs> <we didn't> Jokes.
0: <laughs> yes, and now it is much more than five people. It was well. It would have been amusing to a lot more than five
1: people,
0: but, uh, <laughs> but now hopefully it is significantly more than five people that makes it mildly amusing anyway um so yeah that was my I I can't remember what the other contenders were now for the the name of it but
1: I do remember there being a few I can't remember what the other ones were either
0: (laughs) yeah they were just they weren't nearly as good as Scott so they just got completely (laughs) burned out of our memory right away um (laughs) Yeah,
1: one of the things you mentioned there, where you were talking about sort of like when you were talking about what inspired you to start the Scottish Chronicast was about the about the number of relatively early career scholars that you were um, mm. interested in talking to, hearing the research of, and that sort of thing. And I think one of the things that I've really loved most about the Scottish Chronicast is while you do have a number of sort of famous Names in the list of of, of the Scottish Chroniclecast episodes, including Richard Oram and Elizabeth Ewan and Alex Wolfe, um, many mm-hmm. of your speakers are relatively early career scholars, and I really love that about the Scottish Chronicast and um, and the fact that you feature well over half the episodes uh, are women speakers as well, which is absolutely brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the there's some something really great for a teacher of of history at university level or at school level um to have such a wealth of new research from people that might not have published anything that students can access just yet but that that really gets people right to the cutting edge of 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 what what's going on in Scottish history just now Um, and I think that um for me that's been one of the most um the most fascinating things is listening to people um talking not just about their research but also about their journey of how they got yeah. into doing either medieval Scottish history or the particular subject that they ended up focusing on for their PhD or subsequent to their PhD, depending on what stage they were at. And I think that it's such a um such a refreshing way of engaging with with, with Scottish medieval history. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So there's Oh, there's a lot of things to kind of um, jump on there, um, but it's like one of the things I I miss. Well, I, I miss a lot about academia was the the conferences. Like uh-huh. I, I being able to go to conferences um, and just listen to current research. Uh-huh. What is what is being done right now? Um, and that's in many ways that's where like y- you see the the big established um, academics at conferences, but you also see the early career people there as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and and that's really what I had missed. You mm-hmm. know that the the being able to hear like what what even is going on. <laughs> <laughs> in in Scottish history, at this point, like what are the new sort of projects mm-hmm. um, that are happening, and like uh, missed meeting up for you know coffees after presentations, or 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 harder drinks oh, yeah. um, later, <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and being able to talk more informally about about the research, um, but also like you know, conferences are specific to people attending the conference. Um, and they're, you know, it's, if you're attending the conferences, then, then great. But like, there's a lot more people that aren't able to attend conferences, um, and, um, that want to, to know about new research that's, that's happening. Um, yeah, absolutely. And there's not a lot of opportunity for uh, an early career um, researcher to sort of get their work out there. Um, mm-hmm. There, you know, there are a lot of conferences that are geared specifically for early career research. There are a lot of conferences, uh, like, um, there are some opportunities for getting published, but, mm-hmm. but let's face it, academia is slow. Mm-hmm. Um getting published is, is not a a quick process. process. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And, um, and it can be disheartening. It is, it is not a, uh, an all roses sort of path. Um,
1: Occasional rose in a lot of thorns. (laughs) Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, And, you know, that's, that's, it is what it is there are you know some benefits to making sure that um the product that is being produced is as good as it can be um but it's also full of lots of <laughs> obstacles that mean that there's a lot of research out there that has been done that is good solid research that nobody knows about
1: yeah um absolutely
0: and and yeah so that is something that was very much in the forefront of my mind. Um, hmm. I'm not really sure if I can consider myself early <laughs> career anymore. I don't um, think I'm allowed to do that now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, I, I still kind of do. And um, part of that's because I I haven't necessarily continued on in the, the academic, uh, world of work, but, mm-hmm. um, uh, but yeah, those, those struggles are are still very, um, fresh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> uh, even though I can't, um, timeline wise consider myself early career anymore. Um, and yeah, so that was very much in the forefront of my my mind of like okay how do we get this information out to the people that want it um in a in a way that is also perhaps more easily digestible than reading yeah. a, an academic article um and something that is also easier for the researcher to to present their material in um
1: and also be able to have a dialogue about their research with somebody in that kind of forum that's you know it's a relaxed kind of it's it's generating that same kind of space that you were talking about at a conference in some respects um where Mm -hmm. um you've given a where you've given a paper or you uh, you've been asked a question in in a conference then you go and you get to speak about it you get to delve into some of the little bits that you didn't get to cover in the paper and it's more that sort of forward um dialogue that you have um and i think that tells that's quite um tells quite an interesting narrative in itself in terms of the way that um you build a dialogue with each of the speakers that you're talking to on the podcast about um not just their research but the way that they got into that research and um the way that the um the way that the research has developed over time and I think they're, they're they're the kind of bits about history that most of the time we don't get to hear about. We mostly get to hear yeah. about the results at the end, not the necessarily that how we got, you know, how we got there. <laughs> um and exactly. it's really yeah. fascinating part of what the Scottish Chronic Chronicast has done for the people that have spoken on it. Yeah, no, I definitely
0: I like um I really like hearing how people came to it because it's um uh I think yeah there's just such a variety of um backgrounds that people come to studying Scottish history and it it doesn't matter what you've done in the past like there's always a point forward um and I think digging into people's um backgrounds like that is really uh something that showcases that um and yeah because I I you know sometimes wonder if people have been like oh well I can't do that because I don't have you know, a background in history or have only mm-hmm. ever studied different kind of history. Um, and, uh, but yeah, that's not true. You can, there is a way. Um, and yeah, and
1: I think that the, there's some really interesting, like I was re-listening to quite a lot of the Scottish chronocast, and ahead of, ahead of having a chat with you today. And I think there's quite a lot of interesting people, of narratives of people sort of, a very small thread perhaps of something that they were looking at in a different country and then they yeah um, they looked they they were looking for um they were looking for either um, a master's uh, uh topic or a phd topic and they were and they were looking for places to ask um ask their questions um and mm-hmm. i think that um scotland's history has such a lot of opportunities still left in terms of asking new questions um and i think that comes across in a lot of the a lot of the speakers um points that they're making about why they chose the subject and why they chose the place is sort of that that they um that they were asking questions about gender, perhaps, or they were asking questions about, um, they were asking questions about text. So they were trying to sort Mm -hmm. of look at text from different angles and all these sorts of things. And I think that there's so many new questions still to be asked um, in Scottish history. And I think it's got a lot of opportunity there um, for people when they are thinking about, you know, I'm I'm really interested in this. Could I if, I, if Scottish history is of interest to you, please look at it and see, could I ask that question there? Because I think nine times yeah. out of 10, you probably will be able to. <laughs> um, and I think yeah. that um, the number I was when I was looking through, there's a sort of the number of people that you had speaking about women's history, gender history, more broadly, is really fabulous. I mean, there was over 10 of the titles uh, suggest that, mm-hmm. that there's at least 10 on women. But I know that there's a lot of other ones that, um, like, um, I think it's um, Chelsea Larson talking about criminal cases. And I know that she, like a lot mm-hmm. of what she was interested in to begin with, and although it sort of Developed out of that, um, and had it was only part of a conversation rather than the centre, but definitely interest in gender um, sort of underpin quite a few of the others that don't have women um it, it brazenly in the title. <laughs> um, yeah, and I think yeah. that, that was that was just something. It speaks to both. I think the future of Scottish history, but also about the the um the lovely stuff that's going on at the moment in terms of um, mm-hmm. speaking beyond scotland's sort of male elites (laughs) and thinking more Mm -hmm. um about the about the the experience of um women but the experience of people and, and men as people rather than just political actors um yeah and that sort of idea of the experiential side of understanding um scottish history
0: yeah definitely there's um yeah, I think there's been a lot of amazing research um that is focusing on that, but there's so much still that can be done. Um, mm-hmm. cuz a lot of um a lot of the sources in Scottish history have like need to be reassessed um, well, yeah. and, and re-looked <laughs> re- at um with you know with these specific questions in mind cuz a lot of you know, a lot of what we have as staples for understanding Scottish history are are using antiquated interpretations of the, the sources. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's, you know, a lot of issues, and we've talked about this on the podcast, mm-hmm. um, about, you know, when things were <laughs> translated or when they were made into more accessible publications um, that you know th- either there was a a specific agenda by the yeah. person doing the work or it was just a, a cultural um overlay mm-hmm. that,
1: is that we have to be aware no of. Longer, yeah
0: yeah that we have to be aware of and and that it would be really nice to just to have sort of a modern interpretation, a modern um, version of it to just see, like, what have we missed? And I think a lot of the guests have, you know, pointed out, like, hey, there's, (laughs) there is stuff here that has been blatantly left out um, in these editions, you know, and there have, there have been things that have been intentionally Mistranslated, mm-hmm. um, yeah. or you know, done in a way that like obscures sort of the women in history, obscures some of the other class issues, mm-hmm. and um. And so we do. We need to go back through, and it it doesn't seem like a very glamorous job to go back and like retranslate <laughs> a piece of work that's already been translated. Like, and I, I get that. Like, <laughs> translation work is not like is is uh, not for the faint-hearted. Um, <laughs> but, yeah. um, but, I think there's- but yeah, there's so much we don't know that we don't no i guess yeah. is
1: <laughs> i think that i think this is, there's there's so many if you think about the 19th century sort of late 18th 19th early 20th century even um published sources i mean we have to we have to be grateful for what we mm-hmm. have because actually there is quite a large volume of material that is accessible in printed format mm-hmm. and it's incredibly useful for teaching and all those sorts of things but i think that over the last couple of decades there's been a lot of work that's identified different challenges depending on the type of pu- published source you're trying to use from that period whether it be mm-hmm. it um, then like the work that people have been doing around cartularies, if you're interested in religious um, institutions mm-hmm. and how these were uh, published and how they uh, how they were put together and um and then there's Lots of work been done on um, the court court records that um, Chelsea was talking about in her um, yep. podcast, and then there's um, like I, I've I'm not the only one who's recognised that there's really big problems with the treasurer's accounts. Um, in yes, the, the um, in, I mean he does the, the publisher of that the editor of that at least does tell us what he's done. <laughs> um, in the, yeah. his his first edition, his first volume states that um, this volume is a verbatim. Um, uh, transcription of the treasurer's accounts after this however I'm not going to do it in this much detail (laughs) Um, and I will be I will essentially be saying I I will be saying if there's something that looks very similar to me um, I will say as above as above as above Mm, and i will miss yeah. and when you start looking in i uh, um it's been some really interesting work done on um done on the 16th century accounts from the treasurers that um demonstrate that like some of the key bits that I'm missing are missing are like if you were interested say in clothing of anyone um, less important <laughs> um mm-hmm. their clothing might not have been included or it might have been included in the sense that like an item of clothing was bought but all the other things that went into making that item like the mm. buttons and the thread and the time it cost to make them and all these sorts of things have been left out. Yeah. <laughs> so it also yeah. means that the totals don't add up, which is quite frustrating <laughs> uh, when using <laughs> when using the printed texts. Um so yeah. I think that yeah there's 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 that sort of quite practical level problem but there's also yeah. like you were saying about whether where the where a cultural difference between the person editing and collating the text in the 19th sec- in the 19th century and then the way that we might approach the manuscript now um, is can be quite marked, and not for any fault yeah. of either end, but for that it's something that needs to be needs to be uh, readdressed. I think, and I was thinking mm-hmm. about um, not just um, relying on those sorts of sources, but I also feel like there's this, this comes up in quite a lot of the podcasts as well about the number of underused. Um, Scottish sources or Scottish sources that um, that have sort of sat quietly in an archive for quite a long time and nobody seems to have Mm -hmm. done an awful lot with them Um, and I think there's some um, there's some fascinating collections in Scottish archives and I think also we need to be really aware of looking beyond the national collection in Scotland so I think there's a um, because there is so much in the national collections that also can sit in that category of has anybody actually done anything <laughs> with yeah. with these records <laughs> that we 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 tend to have a we tend to gravitate towards the national collections in the national records um, or in the mm-hmm. national library. But I would say that even the national library's manuscript collection is probably one of those underused collections in the sense that there's some things that people know very well in the national yeah. library's manuscript collections, but there's also some things mm-hmm. in there that people should really know about <laughs> um yeah. but they don't um but I think that thinking about like the collections in local archives for the medieval period and um, the work that mm-hmm. I've been doing with Richard Oram around um Perth's collections for the borough records mm-hmm. um has just highlighted to me how much untapped material and it's not that people don't use them they occasionally crop up but like um it's more that sort of um I don't it's know, really a a been a systematically systematically yeah. researched or and and talking to the archives about you know if we if we could help you what kind of thing would you want cataloging you know how could we help you to help people use this collection more um right, yeah and i think that i think that um the other sort of resource that i think um in terms of manuscript sources is the number of um, estates that still have their own collections out Mm -hmm. with the national collections in Scotland um, and remembering that they're there and that we should be using those more. Um, I had a really interesting... Uh, conversation with Stephen Reed at Glasgow not so long ago he's working on a, it's early modern not medieval he's looking at James James the sixth and James the sixth minority mm. but um and he said one of the things that he had found really fascinating was that moving away from the national record and looking uh, beyond the national mm. and thinking yeah. about the different collections we have around Scotland and I know that that's becoming more I think that's a really important thing for the future of medieval um Scottish history is is that not not ignoring our national collections at all because those national collections are incredibly important. Our access to them mm-hmm. is incredibly important. Um, and there's still plenty of those that we don't know well enough. Um, yeah. But equally I think there is um there is definitely a, a propensity to own only look there. Or yeah, to, and... to to um to put it to put that as the as the key thing to do rather than mm-hmm. to start with a, a more local collection. It's sort of like a presumption mm-hmm. that the local collections are going to be more modern somehow. Whereas right. the um, amazing materials, as Elizabeth Ewan has demonstrated on many an occasion in in borough records for this period mm-hmm. uh, across um, Scotland. Um so
0: yeah, and I I sometimes think that um the fact that we do have the benefit of this this great you know this this wealth of information that has been, you know, translated and published mm-hmm. to by the the antiquarians mm-hmm. and that have left us that it in some ways has caused us to assume that they did everything that was important
1: yeah false false understanding of what's the most important things that we could be looking at somehow
0: yeah and that um and there's there's sort of a an unintentional but a a, (laughs) an assumption that like oh well if we had more stuff then they would have done it right um and and since they don't um yeah. Or the other stuff isn't important, or or yeah. whatever. So we, yeah, we have to to sort of question that. And yeah, I think so. Um And and it, yeah, digging into all the little the little collections out there. I yeah, and there's some really amazing the local archives that have such amazing collections. I remember
1: um, you worked in a Pefri Library for a while as well, didn't you? you did some work there.
0: Yeah, I did some work for that. That was a really fun um, project. Um, and they have some. They have a great library, and they have like the lending record. Um, yeah from from when they started lending books in yeah. the late 18th century, and that's that was really cool to see. Yeah. Um, just what. <laughs> you know, what people, people were, were checking out <laughs> yeah um, but yeah I also looked at um, when I was uh, doing work for the, my PhD I, I went to the local uh, archive up in Forfer mm-hmm. um, for the the Angus Forfisher archive there yeah. and that was just like it's a tiny little place but it was so Peaceful,
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I'm, I'm working I'm, I'm out there. Love helping you and in, in, in the yeah uh, yeah. And it's not that they don't in the national ones, but they I just think that and um, they are often overlooked. So I think they're extra yeah, and <laughs> they, they, extra courteous when people do go.
0: They tend to be more excited that you're actually using their collections because um, because they often get overlooked. Yeah. Oh. Um, But yeah, one of the other things that I am super excited about in the future of Scottish history is just like the future of what more um, of sort of archaeological finds are adding um, to our understanding um, and sort of the, the actual combined efforts of archaeologists and historians working together to like bring together the documentary record and the archaeological record yeah um and i think that's gonna be there's gonna be some really exciting stuff there um and like some of the like dendrochronology. Gee, yeah I, I really done. enjoyed
1: those ones if, they, if people haven't yeah. listened to those ones they need to go and listen to those ones <laughs> yes. I'm going to find what um, they are while Kate's talking
0: <laughs> yeah there's just there's so much interesting um Stuff, but like, unfortunately, one of the biggest barriers on this sort of research and project is funding, and um, on all projects, well, all projects, (laughs) yes, (laughs) we yeah, but some things require more funding than others, definitely, um, and
1: dendrochronology equipment is one of them
0: <laughs> yeah yeah the assessment of of that and and so there's so much more that could be done um in understanding uh you know scottish history through these dendrochronology studies um
1: it's episodes 33 and 34 for dendrochronology and medieval scotland Yes. I thought, I was like, it's, I think it's 34, but I, I
0: wasn't, I wasn't going to say it. I was like, I'm going to be wrong and that'll be embarrassing. But
1: yeah, <laughs> got one of them right anyway. And I think that, um, um, it, it's it ties in for me as well with a focus through, that, that filters through a lot of the uh, episodes that you've got. And again, is something I think is Going to be a really exciting area to keep an eye on, get involved in. Ideally, um, Mm -hmm. would be like like the research around material culture, built heritage, and the landscape. So thinking about that idea of the archaeologist and the historian working together, but also thinking about you know historical geographers and architectural historians and um, art historians, and all like the way that we are interdisciplinary. I think is going to be a really key um, thing for the future, or I hope it's a really key thing in the future that we continue trying to do that, um, in Scottish history, because I think we, we get, we get to ask new questions, we get to have new, um, perspectives. And I think new perspectives are incredibly important, um, for us to keep Mm -hmm. having new questions, um, for, for the kind of history that we want to do.
0: Yeah. Oh, and one other like thing that I'm excited about somebody doing in the future, because I don't want to do it, but <laughs> um, <laughs> somebody should. Uh, and I know there are some people that are already. But like looking um, for, and you've done some of this, actually, uh, <laughs> looking for, for uh, Scottish... Sources or um, mm. Scottish people in Europe um, yeah
1: absolutely and, and
0: looking at those sources that are in that are not in Scotland at all yeah um, and that are going to be talking about interactions with mm-hmm. um, Scottish people um, from a different perspective, um, or are are actually sources from Scots who are
1: are in um, other places, yeah, absolutely. in other
0: places, and the, the the stuff that they leave behind. But I think would be more interesting, or equally interesting anyway, um, is is finding you know other people's
1: yeah, absolutely I-
0: interactions, and I think that's where I I think some. Some people have been looking mm-hmm. into that. Um,
1: um, Briony Briony Coombs looking yes. at French connections.
0: Yeah, so her episode in particular highlights a lot of what she's been able to do. Um, and again, that's an art historian. I, yeah, yeah. Um, but there's so much. I think that there there is a mm-hmm. lot more that could be done. Um, yeah, that's, and it's that's I out it's- there.
1: I think I think we could we could take a we could take a leaf out of the early modernist's book in terms of um in terms of Scottish history because I think that the sort of post 16th into the 17th century and 18th century like you you see a lot more um of the of the scholarship around what Scots are doing in other places and and what um Uh, What influences um, other people are having on Scotland? And I think that sort of that dialogue between what's going on between Scotland and sort of the Baltic and the North, uh, Northern European countries, um, that dialogue is, is really rich. Sort of the post sixteen hundred period, but it doesn't just start then. We know that Scots are traveling to go to university for <laughs> for for years <laughs> before that, for decades yeah. for centuries before that. So I think the yeah. the the impact there has been like you say, there's there's it's usually around a particular individual where it's how we you occasionally have like some really interesting yeah. um dialogue about like um specific individuals who who have ended up in the University of Paris for example and occasionally you get a little bit about that sort of interaction but I think there could yeah I, I agree that would be a really interesting area to see um yeah I guess particularly like getting uh, seeing um you know are there French language sources are there um Scandinavian language sources that could tell us more about um Scottish interactions sort of 16th century and earlier rather than later that'd be really yeah
0: exactly um so those were episodes um 26 and 27 um Mm -hmm. if you want to go back and listen to uh briny coombs about um the french uh (laughs) Scottish patronage in in french yeah (laughs) and the french connections there it was really interesting and but yeah, like obviously that you'd have to be, like, you'd have to pick strategically and. Yeah,
1: definitely. And like, and
0: you'd have to know, cause like you. Oh, the Scots were everywhere, but yeah. <laughs> you couldn't do a, a complete like survey of all of Europe. That would just be yeah. an immense project and completely
1: <laughs> not something one person <laughs> could do. Um, but I think the, the, the um, project that they had it, uh, at St. Andrew's about um, Flanders, was an interesting mm-hmm. one, which would be an interesting yeah. case study for somebody to be like, right, okay. And they very specifically were looking at, started with St. Andrews's connection with Thunders, um, but also started it went broader than that and had um, um more from french's work on um uh material culture connections and how the cultural the, the cultural interchange between um uh scotland and and flanders and that came out of, of one small pro- and it's that kind of project that i think i'd like to see that'd be great to see more of that yeah. the medieval period because they exist for the early modern period there's quite a lot of really interesting work that's been done but for the medieval period thinking about those connections between places and i think maybe mm-hmm. doing it round that kind of well what what connections did this particular port in scotland have which places did it connect with and yeah. can start from there and build outwards that sort of thing
0: yes that would be oh that would be very exciting but I don't (laughs) want to do the work so somebody else needs to do it
1: (laughs) Um, I think there's uh I was thinking about um something else that comes up a lot in in your Scottish Chronicast episodes I want people to keep doing and I want to see lots of it in the future of um medieval Scottish history is sort of the the rereading of of Scottish texts so you took Bringing things neatly back round, potentially, potentially, um, to the Scot- mm-hmm. the, the Scottish Cro- uh, in itself, um, the the text is voluminous, <laughs> would be a good yes. way of describing it. Um, <laughs> and the the number of um, podcasts that you have had on that one text <laughs> through the course of through the course of the Scottish Cro- chronicon's history is, yeah, I think, in you know, a testament to the types of sources that we do have and the amount of um, fascinating material we can draw from them if we're asking different questions of them so I think that one of the things you were talking about like the nature of Scottish sources um, and the challenges that we have with what survives and what doesn't what's been published and what hasn't I think on top of that is that so many of the sources that we've used before can stand to be asked new questions quite frequently and get quite different and fascinating answers um and i think not um not to go back to the same sources over and over again but i do think that though there is so much in those rich Mm -hmm. textual sources from that sort of middle um middle medieval period for us that um they we shouldn't be afraid of trying to ask new questions of those sources and seeing what what pops out when you when you do that yeah yeah
0: no it's um and i think one of the things that we sort of acknowledge as scottish historians also is that we we tend to for a lot of these sources we we look at the the pieces that we know are relevant Mm -hmm. um And and we don't necessarily read the source from cover to cover because obviously time is precious. Um (laughs) but uh and wonderful work that people who made indexes and table of contents and stuff can provide us with exactly where information is. Um
1: but uh we sometimes miss things by doing that. Miss a lot of Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) And 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 there is something to be said about having to sit down and and mm-hmm. <laughs> read through the whole thing, yeah, um, cover to cover. And it's, um, yeah, it's it's something that, um, you know, I know that academia is uh, doesn't an give you a specific amount of time, sometimes, for. <laughs> yeah. But I wish that it it allowed you to to yeah to yeah. slow down so that you could do that sort of thing more. Yeah. Um and and it I wasn't think that's just something one you of the, could
1: do as a PhD student. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. Um, and I think that, um, that's one of the things that I I kind of worry over with mm-hmm. um sort of modern research is is that we we are. Forced into these timelines, that inevitably academic academic publishing is is ultimately slow. But mm. sometimes the the research side of things mm. isn't necessarily, it's
1: cr- or, it's, or, it's, or it's curtailed into short periods of time due to the oh, right, exactly work or the cycles of whichever system, whichever side of the Atlantic system you're functioning on in mm-hmm. terms of when you have to publish things and how many things you have to publish and um and, and yep. I think that I, wrote, I I sat down actually for a piece that I wrote recently um and I did do that I took it on holiday with me so I've got to say it wasn't <laughs> it wasn't mm-hmm. something I did in work time um but I took um I was trying to look for um commentary on youth and old age in the Scottish mm-hmm. um for a set, a set period of time and I actually read pretty much the entire two volume section. Um, yeah. That was in a way that I've never done before. And also then notice lots of, like not just the thing I was trying not to take too much notice of the other things, <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was also scribbling things on an extra pad where I was like, how have you not seen this before? And what, right. What is it going on about here? And <laughs> I really should remember yes. that he talks about that. And I, where am I going to put that note so I don't forget about it the next time I want to um but I think that um yeah we get a different appreciation for things like I think that I'm trying to think whether you know there's texts where I'm like I'm sure I've read that all the way through have I Mm -hmm. have I read yeah exactly and then you're like you question did I really though um
0: (laughs) and and you know and we need to reread things like mm-hmm. our brains forget stuff like mm-hmm. it's yeah um, and yeah i just i do i wish this is one of my my hopes for the future of academia in general is, is that the the sort of time pressures uh ease up a bit and that we as a as researchers would be given more time to actually do things a little bit more slowly mm-hmm. um, and paced in in a way that is actually um, something that would allow uh, our brains to f- to to ruminate over things more effectively. Sometimes in yeah. the current system, not that that means that like current research isn't great. I'm not trying to to say that, um, mm. but I am. It, it but, is, it, but
1: it's being done in spite of the issues. Yeah, exactly.
0: Yeah. Um and I you know, it's something that I worry about with my own research that's just like you know, you don't what would it be if I had actually had the time to do x y or z yeah
1: i think we all have those Um, thoughts you could have have a really interesting conversation with getting everybody in that's been on (laughs) yeah exactly
0: (laughs) these are the things i wish i could have done and you know there's always like it it means that there's always room for more research i guess um but um and you know that's part of the the Fun of history is it is Mm -hmm. this dialogue of like, this is, these are my thoughts. And then somebody else comes along that says, well, these are my thoughts. And like, you know things are are constantly changing or at least they should be Um, yeah
1: absolutely (laughs) the dialogue should keep changing and we should keep asking new questions i think if nothing else that people Mm -hmm. pick up from from your from from all of your interviews is that these people are asking new questions and asking new questions is really important and keep challenging perceptions keep challenging perceptions of what Scottish medieval history is, what the sources can give Mm -hmm. you. Um, Yes, they're messy. They're often in a weird collection of languages. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're often, you're often having to spread your net quite wide to find what you need, but don't don't give up on it. It's so rewarding.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and... Yeah, there's just so much amazing stuff going on right now, and I am so grateful for everyone that has been willing to come on and um, talk to me about their research and talk to share that with the listeners. Um, it has been um, really, really great. Um,
1: so. And as as a as a listener as well as a contributor, I would like to thank you, Kate Buchanan, um, for <laughs> what you've done. I think that it's a really great podcast and I think it's a really great resource um for researchers and teachers alike so it's been brilliant for for the contributors I think but even more so for those people that will be able to come back to these and and engage with them in different ways in the future.
0: Yeah well I um I have really enjoyed it and I um yeah I've just been very grateful that everyone has been willing to to work with me um, to provide this resource, it's been it's been great. So, as a final note, um, I would like to welcome Peter from Medievalist.net to come and say a few words.
2: Hi, Kate. Uh, first of all, hey, Hi, w- Peter. Hey, how are you doing?
0: <laughs> doing well, thank you.
2: Well. You know, uh, I just want to first come on uh, and just really thank you for doing this podcast. So,
0: yeah, it's been it's been a joy to do. Thank you for all that you have done in support of it as well.
2: Yeah. Like, I think I I kind of hear the podcast of of, uh, a few episodes in and like you're doing great stuff. And I said, like, you know, this is something I love to support. And like we have medievalist.net kind of backing it and. Um you know, and I've just been amazed uh with uh the the uh, shows that you've been able to put out uh, I, I think i've been I've been thinking about it as this is like a perfect way to learn about medieval Scotland mm-hmm. they you know you've kind of covered so many different topics like over fifty episodes so uh where you've i think you've talked to nearly everybody that's kind of in the field of medieval Scottish <laughs> history.
0: Yeah, almost. Not not quite everybody, but yes. <laughs> getting they're getting close.
2: Yeah. <laughs> but like I, I really could see like if you're like having an undergraduate course on like medieval Scotland, I think this should be like required listening. Just go through these podcasts yeah. and, and the episodes are going to be up on the Internet for a long, long time. Hopefully <laughs> they will we'll get that yep. sorted out. But, you know, and people can listen. in. And when, one thing I really, really enjoyed was how you always kind of talked to, with about how people got their start in learning about the middle ages and that whole process of, you know, getting an education, getting a career.
0: Yeah, no, that's been one of my favorite aspects of it as well. Just learning what people's journey was. Um, And I think it's important for, you know, people that are coming to the the fields to know that even if they have (laughs) experience in something that is not related to, Uh, medieval history at all um that they can still still get into it so
2: indeed indeed and i wanted to just ask you how do you feel your journey was for this podcast
0: well it was it was good it um was (laughs) not what i expected i had you know i had sort of wanted to do the podcast because i well there was a few reasons um which we kind of discussed earlier um but uh some of it, you know, I missed talking about uh, medieval Scotland. And and yeah, and and then it was a lot more people were interested in it than I expected. I was like, yeah, I'm going to do this for myself and 30 people. <laughs>
2: um, well, you definitely got a lot and, more than that. <laughs> so.
0: Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, lots of people within academia and then, you know, outside of academia, it became much more... Uh, popular and, uh, part of that was, um, the support that you had given, um, and it was, yeah, far more successful, um, than I ever expected it to be. And I am just very grateful for, for the experience. And I'm, I am <laughs> sad that, uh, things are, i'm gonna to have to set things aside for now because
2: well you're, you're always life kind of, you're, is getting in the way i know but you're always welcome back you know uh like you know i'd love to do again more work with you in the future uh you always have like a you know a home with medievalist.net and like the medieval studies community i think i think people would love to hear you again either as a podcast or, or like another media so
0: yeah yeah well thank you i I appreciate that and and yeah we'll see how <laughs> maybe in a, a year or two things will settle down we'll see i don't know
2: <laughs> thanks thanks again and uh thanks so much for you know having scottish Chronicast.
0: thank you again um for your support and thanks again to all the listeners um it wouldn't been wouldn't have been possible without everybody's support The Scotta is just one of many things relating to medieval history on medievalists.net. If you like what you see and what you hear, consider being a patron on patreon.com slash medievalists. Thank you for joining us on the Scotta Chronicast. Please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can also follow our account on Twitter, at Scotta our music is Ex Lux Oratur by Gaita. Thanks for listening.